1: Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now.
0: Welcome to Mafia, a new podcast telling stories of America's criminal underworld.
1: Gotti assumed
2: the position of head of the Gambino family.
0: And using the name Donnie Brasco. I was able to infiltrate the uh, Bonanno uh, crime family in New York City.
1: Bugsy Siegel is an American mob legend.
0: One man changed the whole texture and landscape of crime in America. Listen to Mafia every Wednesday on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite shows.
1: What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket?
0: and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
3: Johnny Carson once interviewed Betty Davis and asked if she had any advice for young starlets wanting to get ahead in Hollywood. She suggested take Fountain. Fountain Avenue runs parallel to Santa Monica and Sunset Boulevards in Hollywood and is often used to avoid the heavier traffic. And isn't that what we're all after? A smooth run, no holdups, not only in traffic, but also in life. How do people handle those holdups, the rejections? How do they create a life in the entertainment capital of the world? How do they identify and express their uniqueness in a place where hundreds of thousands are hoping to do the same? Welcome to Take Fountain. Compelling stories from passionate people who've made it, are making it, In Hollywood, writers, comedians, actors, filmmakers. I'll talk to anyone with a story to tell.
0: Welcome to Take Fountain, a podcast of passionate people working on their dreams. Compelling stories from Hollywood. Your host, Ella James.
3: Jose Arroyo, our guest today, is a writer and cartoonist, currently a staff writer for Conan on TBS. His cartoons have appeared in the prestigious New Yorker magazine. As well as Conan, he's written for Dennis Miller, Bill Maher. He's been nominated for 11 Primetime Emmy Awards for Outstanding Writing and has won twice. We met a couple of weeks ago when I was cast in one of his sketches called Eternakitty, Eternakitty Kitty 2.0. So uh, you should get onto YouTube. We'll probably include a link somewhere for you to catch that so that you can see his brilliance in action. Welcome, Jose. Thank you, Ella. Thank Thanks you. so much for making the time. Of course, of course. Uh, I saw you've been nominated for 11 Emmys, and you've won twice. So what's it like winning? <laughs>
2: uh, winning is a thrill because yeah. you are named uh, with with your peers in the business, and these are uh, the people from other talk shows, variety uh, shows, who've also been nominated. and they're all power hitters. Um, so when, I don't know, when your bingo ball comes up and, and it's you that wins, yeah. it's thrilling, it's yeah. thrilling. Um, the first time uh, happened actually the first year I got on a staff. So that was my, what you would call my rookie season, right. uh, where I, I got a job, I was nominated among my coworkers for an Emmy and then won the Emmy all in my first year um, and then it was, it was all magical. downhill from there <laughs> but a gentle downhill yes yeah. exactly, exactly well
3: you know it's one of the things that I want to ask you so it's great to be nominated and it's great to win but what happens on those nine other times where you're nominated and you don't win Ah, uh,
2: well that's where I uh, it's Far easier to pretend to be humble than to pretend to be gracious. Right. (laughs) So it's almost always more fun to win uh, than it is to have to say, hey, good job, Daily Show, which of course won many, many times uh, in in the past. So, uh, but that's just the way it is sometimes. And and, uh, the true consolation is they called your name. You were were listed among... um, the ones who were who were you know considered for the award. So whether you win or not, and I, this may be rationalizing, uh, it's it feels great you were invited to the party.
3: Yeah. So I want to talk to you about uh, the resilience that you've that you've developed through through doing this. But first of all, let's get a little bit of a snapshot. Where did you grow up?
2: Uh, I grew up in mostly in upstate New York. Uh, so I was the son of a professor at Cornell University one of seven children that he had and uh, i was the second in line and um i developed an interest in comedy um just because uh, hearing an early woody allen album on a cassette of all things uh, just flooded my brain with endorphins made me laugh even though i didn't get half the jokes how old were you i was like uh 10 really? 11 yes this is something uh, whatever, however old you are, in fifth grade, my yeah. fifth grade teacher had a Woody Allen album on cassette, and uh, he played a little bit, and then he let me take it home, and I listened to it. And I had to ask my mother what an what an orgasm was, <laughs> <laughs> and she claimed she didn't know, and then she said it's it's an attack of nerves. That's what I remember. So I go, all right, that's I still don't. Has get that
3: impacted it. the rest of your life? <laughs> Yes. Yes. Oh my god. Uh, so no, yeah. so how did that then play out? As it a, te- as a, as a I, teenager, you know, were you did you do stuff at school that was involving? you
2: get attention. I loved I loved to get to to be the cracky guy. Um, I wasn't going to get any athletic awards. Um, I had a, a facility with with language and maybe it was growing up bilingual. You know, we spoke Spanish in the home and English in school and right. so um uh, I was always uh, pretty good. I mean, at, at 12 or whatever, you're, you're doing a lot of puns, you're doing a lot of wordplay and things like that. Pre-dad uh, jokes. Exactly. Right. We'll <laughs> exactly. get to those. <laughs> yes, yes. So we, um, so, and then of course you have a lot of, uh, I grew up one of seven kids, so you have a lot of people to try material off of, you know, to, mm-hmm. try to get uh, your, your brothers to laugh. Yeah. Uh, and so it, it, it kind of built from there. What I found was that I was really drawn to the happiness of comedy, the response, the the, the pleasure you get out of making someone else laugh. And, um, um, and then around college, I noticed that there were opportunities to do stand-up, so I cobbled together five or ten minutes of of jokes, they were again, pun heavy, um, but it was a start. Um, yeah. And um, Do I you know, like being on stage? Not as much as I used to. I felt that when I started, it was a guaranteed outlet for my humor. I didn't have to wait to apply for a job, I didn't have to wait for anybody to give me permission. If there was an open mic night, I could just put my name on the list, and go on stage and then the audience would decide if I was funny but I didn't have to wait for a producer I didn't have to wait for uh, a writer to send me a script that kind of thing so it was liberating in that way Um, and I I don't do it as much because I feel like my inner ham has been um, satisfied in other ways Uh, maybe maybe by drawing and self-publishing these comic books I get to have my name on something it gets to be my thing but I don't have to um, you know wait four hours outside a comedy club and and, yeah. and, and sort of do that that whole that whole thing um,
3: it's it's funny because somebody said to me with regard to improv when I I arrived here I studied at UCB and oh, they said you've got to work out whether you're going to do improv or whether you're going to be a stand-up because you can't do both and uh, their, their argument was that uh, improv is all about team playing yes. and stand-up is all about you know, traveling solo—it's—it's it's totally up to you there is, what you do. Yes, I, I don't agree with them yes. because I think you can do both. It depends yes. on the person, but they very clearly identified what the what the necessary skills were.
2: Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And it's uh, see, I'm yes ending. I'm agreeing with you yes. as an improv uh, person, <laughs> but uh, but you are right. The um, the, the best there are people who can do both very very well uh there's a guy named rick overton who you put in an improv situation will slay you and uh is also a great stand-up comic um but in general i would say that um they they kind of exercise two different muscles um and one is far more cooperative you are in a team environment uh the goal i guess of an improv is to um, it, it may may be different uh may it may not be about laughs per minute or um, uh, you're you're certainly in a different uh, dynamic with other people yeah. uh, than you are solo um, and that's actually what 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 got me out of stand-up comedy eventually was that i couldn't see i i got bored with my material before my audience did uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I got bored with it and i I had trouble realizing that it's new to them. So I would start doing it in a very rote way. And I think if you talk to veteran stand-up comics um, who have an established act, they say that sometimes they're thinking about what they're gonna have for dinner later in the middle of their strongest bit. They've done it so many times, It's, it's, it's become rote. Whereas in improv, if you're doing it right, you have to be very, very present. Your mind can't really wander as much. So uh, again, two different muscles and two yep. different things. They both deliver laughs. i would I would actually give the edge to uh, stand up, although they can both be sublime and they can both be dreadful.
3: <laughs> i did I did both a couple of weeks ago, and I, I totally agree with you. I saw an interview with uh, Peter O'Toole on YouTube this morning, and he was being interviewed about his. Acting career, which of course was stellar. Of course, of course. And on the subject of learning lines, he got on to talk about these Russian theatre companies from the late 1800s. And for years and years and years, they performed the same play ah. over and over and over. He said Marlon Brando did Streetcar for maybe thousands of performances yes. before it ever got to film. And because the interviewer had said, Oh, you know how you have to learn your lines. And he he said, No, you have to study your lines. You don't understand. And that that's the thing, delivering the lines as freshly as if they had just come to you. So that so the difference is to me that in acting as in improv, you're listening. Yes. So you're not waiting for a gap to deliver your next line, you're listening to the other person's line, yes. which then allows you to deliver your line as freshly as if you just thought of it.
2: Exactly. Whereas exactly.
3: comedy, there's nobody, there's no one there. <laughs> right? right? And there is nothing worse, and I don't know if this has ever happened to you, where you tell your killer line <laughs> and the audience is filing their nails. Yes, yes. They, they didn't hear it, they didn't get it. <laughs> Sometimes it's my Australian accent that queers right. the pitch, right? And, right. I'm like, and I'm like, okay, I'm gonna repeat that for you with my american accent so you'll understand <laughs> that's what i'm saying right. good, good.
2: everybody in the fold that way that's right, that's yes, right. Yes, bring him yes, yes. in bring him <laughs> in. in
3: um so you so you you went to college what did you study
2: i studied uh, i started out as a pre-med and then i was rapidly failing and uh, cornell said you know you should take a leave of absence to get your head uh straight and, and figure out what you really want to do and I told the administrator, I, I don't really feel I need a, a leave of absence. Um, and he said, I really, he, he told it to me in no uncertain terms that they were going to tell me to, <laughs> to take a leave of absence uh, unless I chose to take one. Uh, so I, I went and washed dishes. This is, you can't make it. I, I went to wash dishes at a seminary in Washington, D.C. while I went and tried to do stand-up. In my six months off of college, um, so in the daytime I was in a seminary, uh, surrounded by um, <laughs> some some nice uh, affectionate men, and uh, <laughs> I, I, I'll say that because I, I, I was I was I was uh, given some attention, and um, and then at night I would go out and do some uh, do standup. So that was my that was my days and nights. Uh, kind of, and, but it made me appreciate the, uh, the comfort and, uh, of, of the college uh, experience, because um, I didn't live in a very good neighborhood in Washington, D.C., and uh, my roommate uh, got mugged, and uh, life became a little more real, and I got sort of scared back into, or, or told, you know what, you have other options. Focus on your studies, figure out what you really love to do, and then go back to Cornell With a different mindset, Uh, so when I went back, I changed majors from pre-med to creative writing, and and that was what I could, that was what I could do, that I was being pulled toward instead of feeling like I was obligated to do, or um, that you know, uh, it was it was a more organic desire
3: to write creatively. You 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 said then, and I responded to your facial expression, <laughs> and I have to apologize that you were receiving some attention from these.
2: Well, it's a podcast, but mums. I I just tell your listeners I I used to look a lot better than I do now, uh, and yes, I, I did receive some attention uh, at the seminar.
3: That must have been frightening.
2: No, it wasn't frightening. It was uh, I I it wasn't it was. It, I, I was not frightened. Okay. I was. I was actually. Um, in tr- uh, I, I was. I was in such a different world than this suburban upstate New York place. I was now in a city. I was pretty much on my own, yeah. and, uh, um, and it what was were just you? one. Like 20, I was. I was three, 20, twenty. Twenty. I think. Wow. I was 20. Okay. So I was. So I was chopping onions in, in the kitchen uh, and every now and then uh, a, 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 a gentleman who I, uh, you know, just started paying attention to me. Right, right. <laughs> uh, a seminarian. So he yes. was not much older than I was. Right. Uh, but uh, it's funny. I, I'm just telling you this uh, for the first time. I don't think I've ever uh, mentioned this <laughs> before. So.
3: Yeah. Well, thank you for, for sharing that. Are you Because... You see, this is, as as much as we talk about this is about the journey and the dream and all the rest of it, I'm very eager to find out what leads people forward, and I do believe uh, that sadness and pain and challenges provide a blueprint, if you like, or or... they, they allow us some kind of growth yes. that allow us to find something important. They, they they become so uncomfortable, they're like a stone in your shoe I where see, you eventually yes. have to stop and take the shoe off. And this, it, you're forced to move to a position that is going to be better for you ultimately. Yes. And yes. this, is, of course, is, is what you're saying happened. So you were able to change your major. After six months, you went back to Cornell.
2: Yes. And I had a totally different um, outlook on on education and on my future, I, I felt burdened by uh, by being a pre-med major, which I had no business doing. It's so and funny <laughs> looking at you now. I'm like,
3: <laughs> that would be such a funny doctor, right? That would be just <laughs> well, too funny, like, you know, do not become a G, uh, an OBGYN. That no, look. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: yes, I I, I found my, my sort of truer calling, how about that? Uh, because I was interested in medicine, but my truer calling was uh, something in the creative arts, and that was the that was the writing. Um, and after I graduated, I felt a tremendous amount of pressure to get a career job, to do something with a liberal arts major, either teaching or um, teaching or teaching. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what else are you going to do? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh, I didn't. Um, I. I, I clung to the idea that I could do stand-up comedy or do something comedy-related. And, and, and did I, and
3: you know I, what that might be? Had you ever? No,
2: and it was a burden because every holiday, I would come back to the house, and I would get. I have, I have five brothers and one sister. By the time I was coming back for holidays, uh, they were all either graduated from college, or they had jobs, they had they had stable sort of certain careers, and. They were like they would, they would tease. They would just say, "All right, if anybody buys a house, make sure it has a room for Jose, in case, you know, in case it doesn't work out for him." They were all busy adulting. They were all busy <laughs> adulting, exactly, exactly. So uh, and uh, you know, I, I'm still waiting for that. I'm yeah. still waiting to be an adult. Yeah, but. when I grow up. Yes, exactly. yeah,
3: right. Oh, I totally hear you. Uh, so, so, what, so you're standing outside yes. Cornell. And you've got your, you've got your certificate. You're wearing your yes. mortarboard, and you're like, "Right, I've graduated."
2: So and then then I go down back to uh, Washington, D.C., because uh, I was afraid of New York City. It was it looms so large in my imagination as the crucible where you'll be either crushed or you'll be refined into gold. It's the place where people make it or don't make it Mm -hmm. that I thought, well, let me get my chops up to speed in a different city and then at least not come into New York City as a rank amateur. Um, and I did. I, I basically stayed for two years after graduation. I went. I stayed in uh, in Washington D.C. I uh, I met my fiance there. We moved together to New York City, and I began to hit the clubs. And I began to try my material uh, at a place called The Improv and um, uh, Stand Up New York, and these places. Uh, the Improv is closed, but Stand Up New York is still there, and. Um, one of the early highlights was being told by uh, Silver Friedman, who, who ran the improv at the time, you're good, we want you to come back here and work out. Now, by that, what they mean is we want you to show up and wait for a spot to be available for you to do your five minutes and you may have to wait till two in the morning to do your spot for four people. And that was... Again, the hard road, the the dues-paying. Oh, you're of telling
3: it. me! I yes. I've done that. Yes. I've, I've I've done that, and I had one person in the audience, and they had consumed so much liquor, that their head was lolling. <laughs> and then in the middle of my set, they just put their head up and screamed an an obscenity, <laughs> and and you know said I was pretty, and then fell asleep again. <laughs> Adorable! Oh my but, gosh. But, that's what it is. Yes. And right? he
2: was probably waiting to go up after you.
3: Yeah, well, so, yeah.
2: You don't know. I just
3: uh. think you crawled in from somewhere, but yeah, <laughs> but it's what you, this is. And then you've got to get up in the morning and so you get to sleep at four and then you've got to get yes. up at, at, at seven at a work because time. you've got work or you've got an audition or you've got to write or, you know, so it, it's yes. um, it's a it's a huge thing. So you kept working. I the did clubs. that. I would take
2: day job. I would take temp jobs. So that I would not get attached to anything for too long, so I could call my own shots or call my own outs if I need, if I had an audition um, or if I had to do stand-up or something, I because I've, I'm very mindful of uh, if you if you're gonna give your time to somebody you're giving your time to them um, so that I, so I always built I said I'm just gonna stay at entry- level jobs where they I can easily be replaced. I don't need a lot of money
3: yeah.
2: and I'll just be free to do what my What are you art. talking?
3: You've got a you've got a fiance who's moved to New York with you <laughs> and you've got six siblings with houses and this spare true. rooms. There was a lot of there outside was a bit pressure. Of pressure right?
2: a, lot, a little <laughs> pressure for sure, for sure. But it's always great if they give up hope. Because <laughs> if they give up hope and you then you're free. Right. And I felt like I was the um uh, the bohemian, the, uh, the artist, the oh, you know, he's just following his own path and if you have Seven children. One of them can be that black sheep, and it was it was me at that time. So right. uh, I was tolerated, and I lo- and loved, and everything. And, and so, um, but in terms of like my my personal needs, you know, we I just we we ate a lot of spaghetti, and that was just what you do. And and it doesn't matter if you're doing it for what you love anyway. So yes. you'll do anything.
3: Uh, what was the first big break?
2: The big the first big break. Uh, was discovering that Jay Leno had a fax line that you could submit material to him and he would do it on The Tonight Show. The reason this was, I no longer exists. I'm going to support the audio of this
3: to give you a description of my visual where my jaw just hit the desk. Yes, (laughs) okay.
2: A gif of a a whole jaw falling. Uh, When I, it was, well-known in the stand-up community, and when I discovered that, um, I tried to find a way to get permission, because you needed permission uh, from NBC or from the people at The Tonight Show to be a, sub- a submitter. I was temping for a guy, uh, and I said, I don't have an agent, I don't, I don't know how I can get permission for this. Uh, and he said, I'll be your agent, he typed up some letterhead, he faxed it to The Tonight Show. I got, I got back a very formal, legal thing that said, anything you send to Jay Leno becomes property of The Tonight Show and we will pay you $50 if we use a joke on the air. And, um, so his and lie, l- his audacity, what do you want to call it? His, his support? His support. Was he an agent <laughs> at all, though? Like- Absolutely not. He was a very proactive Guy who uh, who was very. I think he understood that th- that what was standing between me and my dream was a formality, yeah. but he took a risk or a dare that I would never have done. Like I would never dream of doing that. Yeah. But I am great. I owe him the start of whatever I, else I became to that little leap, that moment of audacity, and uh, that's extraordinary. Yes, yes, yes.
3: Uh, One question I ask everybody. Um, oh,
2: so long story short, I start submitting oh, material to uh, J- Jay Leno. I start, So I start submitting material to uh, Jay Leno, and um, the first batch he uses a joke that I that I wrote, uh, which... The first batch? In the first batch, it was a generic as hell joke about uh, the 4th of July, how there's I, something like uh, you know, the explosions and colors and screaming, and that's just Dad trying to light the grill. It was that lame of a... But anyway, it got on, and I got a $50 check, and I thought, okay, my stand-up is entry-level. I was a decent opening act. Right. But this is (laughs) uh, validation from a stranger, and he used a thing on national TV that I wrote. Yeah. So uh, that just, you're saying, but in terms of a breakthrough for my ego and for my... um, sense of that I was in the right job or oh, doing I've the got right thing. Oh, I've got shivers just... Uh, that was it. I
3: totally I totally get that. Do you still I, have the $50? <laughs> no.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, I should have kept the check. Right. I might have the check stub, believe it or not. Um, but that's just because I'm a hoarder. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I could have that. Uh, $50 what, it didn't come frequently enough to make it a paying career. Yeah. But it was... It started me writing topical monologue jokes every single week that that the Tonight Show was on. So if it was a rerun, I you know uh, I would do them, but I wouldn't send them anywhere. Um, but every day I wrote, and that was my gym, my workout. Yep.
3: During that time, after you, I mean, you submit your first batch and you get a yes. Yes. And then after that, you're submitting week after week, day after, after week, day, day after day after day, right. and Nothing. Nothing for how long?
2: <laughs> for uh, probably seven months. Okay, until so I, I heard another joke, but it, yes.
3: So during, so you're watching the show. They don't tell you they're going to use your joke. No, You've just so got to watch
2: it. You wa- so I watched it. I don't know. I not I don't think I had even a VCR at the time, but I was watching it every night to see if I heard the setup to my joke. Yeah. And then I would like be like, because you know these are topical jokes. So let's say uh, if. President Clinton was in the news and he had just visited the ambassador of Mexico. If I wrote a joke about President Clinton visiting the ambassador of Mexico, then I knew that I had a shot at if the joke is mine, right. you know, this could be it. So, uh, and sometimes it was, most times it wasn't. But that was my little gambling or my little game at night, every night. I, if I heard a premise that I had written a joke for is it 50 bucks? Is it, you know, yeah. or
3: not? <laughs> like, the, money uh, the, box, the money on the box! The money on the it, box! It's it like, will it I win? Will I win? Exactly. Well, that's, so the feeling, I want you to take yourself back, and this is difficult because we see things, we paint a much brighter picture of the past. Yes. And we, and we make it almost romantic. That's a defense you know, the, the mechanism. Of I course. Think, yeah. But I want you to go back to a night in your apartment where you've been watching the show every night and it's maybe two, three, four or five months down the track, how did you cope with that non-acceptance, which is in in fact rejection, okay? Yes, of
2: course it is rejection. Um, Well one of the things that I consoled myself with was if he did a joke on a topic that I had submitted material for, sometimes I would say to myself, my joke was better. He didn't use my joke, but I thought I had a better uh, angle on that idea, or I had a better twist, or a, uh, you know, something more clever to say about it. Yeah. Um, and so that was, maybe that was just me trying to consult, uh, sour grapes. Yeah, you know? yeah, I was yeah. like, oh well, he didn't use the best one. Mm-hmm. Um, and other times, I, I would submit, you know, you submit what comes out that day, mm. and you have your good days of joke writing, and you have your bad days. Um, but, um, so there are days when I thought, okay, well, there was nothing in my batch that was similar or equal to what was aired. You know, it was you struck out and you go back to the bench. But, um, but that, was, that was it. I mean, on a day-to-day basis, I never let it crush me because um, I had other, you know, while I was submitting to Leno, I had other outlets for my comedy, either through stand-up or through a sketch comedy show that I later joined. Yes. So I had other venues. Uh, and that's another thing. I don't know um, who, who the target audience of this is, but people—it's it's it's people. all people. It's people, okay. So.
3: <laughs> we call them. All right.
2: I, I won't bark. I'll, I'll <laughs> just address people. Um, that uh, it's good to have more than one, more than one channel uh, for your for your art or for your creativity. Uh, so that's uh, so you're not your ego is not tied to one outcome or to one. Thing. Uh, That's very on.
3: supportive of polyamory. Yeah, <laughs> just, exactly. don't just tie yourself to, exactly. one to one part. I have person. multiples. Yeah, if one possible. lets you down, just you know. <laughs> Moving right along. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, I, one of the questions that I do ask people is, uh, I know, I know myself when I when I decided to come to um, Los Angeles to America. I wrote down a list of pros and cons, and I wrote down a list of the, all of the events of my life that I regarded to be um, important. Uh, good or bad and i discovered that there was a person attached to every one of them that oh. it wasn't necessarily what i had done although it took i needed to have a level of skill or i needed to be in the right place but it was ultimately down to a person i so agree so who was with a that. person a, i love that i love your story about this man uh, who was not sure. an agent having the the the, yes. the 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 insight to offer you that support yes. so that you could get ahead have you found that that's the case as you've moved along?
2: I think so. I think in, it's certainly, if you look back on your career, um, there are people all along the way who who just um, gave you a boost or gave you um, or brought your name up in to someone of, of influence or authority, um, and that can make the difference. And that's your break, really, um, is is to be in somebody else's radar and. Uh, and be remembered well in that person's radar or remembered competently and that's what you can bring to it Um, Mm. so if they see you in a stand-up showcase they can say "Oh, I saw Ella doing this thing she was Mm. she was great why don't we consider her Mm. Um, so I um, but yes throughout I think I've had moments where uh, people have been my booster yeah, they reached promoted
3: out, promoted me. Yes, yes, exactly, yes. Exactly. So, uh, so you're in New York, and uh, you've had seven months of sending, sending jokes in on a daily <laughs> basis to Jay Leno. Yes,
2: and uh, that actually turned into two years, I think, of sending jokes to Jay. I didn't, um, I didn't stay in New York. Uh, my wife at the time was a professor, and she would take these one-year fellowships. So I would follow her around the country. Um, and the way I would earn my keep at the time, because I was going to different cities with her as she, as she went from college to college to teach, uh, was by writing teen novels under an assumed name. So um, that was the way I, I would bring in Can income. you tell me the name? Uh, well, it was a series. It's a defunct series called 18 Pine Street. And it was um, a writer-for-hire thing. So I, you know, I would, I would get a couple thousand dollars to write these... De- these teen novels uh, under the name Stacy Johnson. Uh, so, and the thinking by my publisher at the time was, men don't write, you know, teen novels. It's uh, mostly women, so we have to give you a female pseudonym. But oh, this, this is
3: George Eliot in reverse. Yes, right? exactly,
2: exactly. Right. Or Evelyn Waugh. Straight ahead. Yes, but either way, I, uh, yes, I was. Um, I, I think that took. Uh, I think I did that for three years, where I was ghost writing or. You know, secretly writing teen novels, and um,
3: what's your preferred method of writing? Do you write
2: uh, by hand or do you type? I have done everything. I collect typewriters, so I have a fascination with the clickety clack of of, of an actual manual typewriter. Um, But I decide, I realize that it's whatever is at hand. uh, Don't get don't get bogged down by the by the device. It's. It's really you know you're trying to convey something that's inside you. Use any means necessary. Um, So as you can look uh, as you can see from my office, I have papers, I all over the place, handwritten. I have sketches, um, and then I have uh, stuff you know files and files on my computer. It doesn't matter as long as you get it out. Um, So, I heard
3: I heard another interview that you did where you said that. in these writers' meetings where you're all waiting to pitch a joke that you sketch?
2: Sometimes, yes, uh, during, the, during the meetings I, I find someone who's not looking at me and I draw their profile or I draw their... <laughs> a colleague, a fellow right. writer, and, uh, and if I'm not disgusted with the outcome of it I, I usually post it on the wall. Oh, so. that's so
3: cool. Yeah, so. The other thing, and I might have this wrong, was something about somebody telling you she had written a book and it's about drawing ever-increasing circles on a page. Yes, Linda
2: Barry. Right. Uh, I, in one of her books, talks about breaking through um, periods of, uh, of, of writer's block, or um, in her case, maybe um, you know, create, a creative block for how to work on things, um, by this sort of meditative
0: spiral. Um, and I- It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? No purchase necessary. we prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
2: I don't know if it's just to to give your your monkey mind something to focus on and letting your subconscious work on the problem, but um, yeah, she talked about <laughs> drawing ever widening spirals. Oh no, I love that. I think yes. I don't.
3: I think that's great. I mean, anything yes. that can get you out of that uh, that funk, because writing uh, writing isn't writing. Writing is editing. True. True. So I find. And I, I'm not a, really a writer, but I have to write some of the stuff that I do, whether it's for my blog or, or for this or for my comedy. I have to just get it out on the page first yes. and then I come back to it. And it can be minutes, hours, days, months, years before I come back to it. Yes. yes. And invariably there's always something that can be reworked in some way, shape or form. Yes. So. Important to get it down rather than throw it out and think because I self censor. I'm True. like, do you do that? Like, oh, that's not good enough, or no, I can't do that. Or
2: yes, every I think every good writer has a draft file of stuff that didn't meet their own standards, um, and it's it's healthy. Otherwise, you're just emitting, you're vomiting, you know, and that's yeah. uh, without without editing or without sort of reworking something um it gets a little self-indulgent yeah
3: um
2: so we as readers and as and as people and as adults have acquired some standards for what we either find funny or or good good writing um and it's logical to try to rise to those standards that most people have Uh, and um i for me i um i do i i tend toward perfectionism so i keep things a little too long sometimes, mm-hmm. but uh, that's a flaw. You you actually have to find that balance between. You have to
3: liberate them a little bit. Liberate, <laughs> let it's them out like of your heart. heart. Yeah, exactly. right. Exactly. It's hard. You he almost did. need to become a different person. And uh, so you will appreciate this story. A friend of mine gave me some comedy that he'd written the other day, uh-huh. and uh, and he said that he'd shown it to somebody uh, very close to him, and that they had said darling, no, this isn't funny. Uh And I said, you must never show anything Uh to your partner Uh unless they are a writer or a comedian or, or, (laughs) you know, so that they can offer something because it's very... It's very usual yes. for somebody. You know, um, I used to sing for for my aunt, and uh, and I'd say, "What do you think?" And she, you know, she'd say, "Well, you know, you're not really Celine Dion, are you?" Uh, so they're uh, comparing uh, you uh, to people who are really at good at their that, careers, right? Who are getting
2: paid millions in Vegas. That's a that's a harsh comparison to someone who's. Really trying to entertain you. Well, uh,
3: and that's, but you must, know, like, do you show anything? When, when is the first time you'll show something to someone?
2: That's, in, in a job where you're trying to come up with co- uh, comedy for that night, you can't be too precious. Yeah. You have to um, get it to the level where you're not horrifically ashamed, where it's grammatically clear, and then you send it in to be uh, thumbs up or thumbs down by the group, by the writing group at mm-hmm. Conan. So, you can't be too precious, um, but um, you, know, you hone everything uh, uh, as long as it takes to get to that level where you're not ashamed or you're not embarrassed, um, and where you know that you're not taking advantage of someone's kindness to read your first draft, to read your first efforts, which, you know, many writers, I, I, Nabokov said, right, you know, the first drafts are sputum, and, and anyway, said, first drafts are shit, you know, they are, they are, uh, I, Stephen King said, you know, write write your first one with the door closed, your second draft with the door open. In other words, the first one's for yourself, and the second one is to show the world, but fix it, you know, between the first and the second. Um, so, again, here, I can't be too precious. Um, then with a personal project, I have had an essay I wanted to submit to the New Yorker for two years, and it's been in the, quote, workshop, you know tinkering and I gotta gotta get back to that Uh, but with no deadline and with something that's completely personal to me I I can wallow in it and it's never you know and it it may never go out Um, but that's not that's not good (laughs) if you want to be successful you have to risk you have to put it out
3: that's that's the beauty of writing isn't it like if I if I left me for two years I would put on and gain 10 pounds and lose 15 and then get wrinkles but writing just it just stays in the drawer right yes exactly Just stays on the hard drive
2: it can can if you yeah but if you if you're serious about either being a comedy writer or a performer at some point you have to get out of your room you have to get out of or you have to send stuff out to the internet which is Mm. this you know great um, venue now Um, or if you're a performer put stuff up on YouTube uh, you can't wait you can't wait yeah
3: so so you've been with Conan for how long now? since
2: 2002 So I joined him when he had a show in New York City called late night with Conan O'Brien and I was um, uh, coming off of a show uh, here in California uh, an HBO show and then I moved my family to New York City to start with late night and I felt like I was thrown in the deep end but uh, but I I prevailed, and I was very happy to to be working for. Um, I've been lucky. I've been I've kind of worked for people with Bill Maher, Dennis Miller, and Conan. People, I, I I think I'm pretty smart, but they're really smart. So I'm kind of I would I think I would chafe if I didn't respect the people that I was working for. Mm-hmm. And so it's good to be, it's it was uh, when I found Conan, and he seemed to like what I was doing. Um, I, I guess I thought, uh, you know, to this very day. Well, why, why would I look for something else? Why would I go anywhere else?
3: Right.
2: So it's fourteen
3: years. Fourteen years. You're, I know. You're almost <laughs> adulting together. I you know. No,
2: right? I know. I'm <laughs> fourteen. Well, fourteen is the time you start rebelling. So maybe I should be on the lookout. No, you know, do it in dog changes. years. It's
3: do it in negative dog uh, years, uh, years. So divided dog by years. anyway. <laughs> it. So, so tell me about. Tell me about an average day, what, does, what do you do?
2: Well, uh, an average day starts with looking online for newsworthy things that we can make fun of. Um, Conan isn't The Daily Show, he's not The Nightly Show, so he doesn't feel an obligation to um, to report on the latest political thing or, or serious, uh, you know, international incidents in that way, even with a humorous bent, the way The Daily Show did so well, the way that Colbert did so well. Um, But uh, we do find trends in the culture, um, fads, little, you know, small, not smaller, but less um, politically volatile Mm -hmm. things. uh, And we joke about those. Um, At this point, here's a commercial for Eternal Kitty, two <laughs> Exactly. We so we cocoa. take, so we take <laughs> the idea that uh, that some uh, women, you know, like the company of cats, and we combine it with the idea that some like cats but wish they could also have a guy to mate with, <laughs> and we combine it into this man cat animal that you'll see on Eternal <laughs> Kitty. So <laughs> that's that.
3: So you go, you go online, you see the we trends, look you stories. look, and you do this on your own. Do you do yes. this at home, or do you do, do you do do this in the office.
2: The writers uh, on Conan each have a computer. We all have internet, and we all have our own offices. And we come up with news items to pitch jokes about or pitch stories about. Mm-hmm. And then we have a ten thirty or so meeting in the morning, and the the ideas come out to the arena, where.
1: This is like Gladiator. Yeah, a little
2: bit, a little bit. Uh, <laughs> Open the
3: gate. <laughs> it, 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 it's,
2: it's, it's, a, it's Gladiator. But I, I s- sincerely believe that it's everyone's hoping for the best idea to win. It's not I want to put my idea, no matter how flawed, up on you know in front of Conan. Yeah. Because here's what happens: you pitch your ideas at ten thirty. Hopefully, the best ones get get picked, and they're developed into either. A parody commercial, a sketch, um, you know, um, a a series of graphics or something. So they have to be sent to other departments to be to be given their sort of their full life. Um, And then they have to stand naked in front of Conan at rehearsal at one in uh, one in the afternoon and then he will thumbs up or thumbs down the idea. So he has to go out of the writer's room with hope in its heart and then be created and then Conan can decide whether or not it's going to be worthy to go on the show that night um, so it's uh, exhilarating and then it can be either exciting because it got in or oh that, that you know the he calls it the souffle falling right you know, the souffle fell what well, can be done yeah it didn't quite have the the spark right and so you want to put them out there with the best material and sometimes your thing has spark and sometimes it doesn't that's just you put you you do so much every day that that's just the law of averages right right so that's why we have writing staffs so that the the onus of coming up with brilliant stuff isn't on one or two gifted people it's it's a democracy it's you know somebody we say we may have the hot hand you know today and I might have it tomorrow or I may have a cold spell for four days but everybody has to contribute um, and and sometimes it's somebody else's sketch and or time to to shine. And Conan has a staff so that he's never out there uh, with nothing.
3: <laughs> yeah But you're not only you're not only a writer from the perspective of writing comedy. I mean, you have a visual and oral approach to it as well. You when you create it, you're creating a vision as well. Uh, yes, I' have always loved drawing.
2: And um, back in college, I was failing math, and the the Cornell said, "Look, we, we gave you the remedial math class, and somehow." <laughs> and, you're 25. You're, and you're twenty five. <laughs> no. We're either gonna give you yeah, a graduation or a job. But, uh, no, he. They said you can take an art class instead of math and it'll sort of fulfill the same requirements for the for the for the degree and i was delighted so i went from failing at math to going to this art class this drawing class um, that again lit up a a a lobe in my brain that has you know lit up every time i i draw it's just something that i that i discovered that i delighted in Uh, but it's Even more than comedy, it's something that you say, well, how dare you even try to to put your comic books or your your drawings out into the world. Uh, Everybody has some ability to draw. Everybody draws as a kid. I felt like I had no right to... Really? Oh, absolutely.
3: Really? You must be really hard on yourself. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> right. Uh, Where does that come from? Do you like? Does that come from anywhere? Does it come from inside you? Is it I something that a, happened? Or? I think
2: it's a mix. I think everybody is. I don't know if there's one thing. Um, uh, my father was a very high achiever, and I think you know I aspired to be a high achiever. I, I may have had a an I'll show them feeling when uh the brothers were teasing me about not having you know still tempting at 27
3: and, you know that and kind you of thing. were number two so and i was
2: number two so the older one he was almost like a third parent very responsible very and then i was the jester mm. and then others sort of found other n- niches you know, adults uh, they yeah. were adults yeah. <laughs> oh, yes, they're, in, they're in business they're in management right. they're teaching they're they work for colleges libraries and so on they're all very uh <laughs> integrated members of society uh, and and uh, so I I don't know I just felt that I wanted to achieve something at my level in my field of, of interest in with my love of comedy that would maybe uh, allow me to keep hold my head up at the family reunions right. so uh, so I didn't um, I didn't take any you know career Defining jobs. I, I stayed loose uh, so that I could follow my dream. Yeah, um, and that and, so and look that at you now. I, well
3: <laughs> Well, that was that that you know Dreams are funny things because The close. I don't believe in goals. Uh-huh. Okay, I think they're God's comedy uh, Okay, <laughs> because the closest the closer you get to one it morphs into the next level exactly. and you never actually get the chance to pat yourself on the back or congratulate yourself or no. feel that you have a sense of achievement do you find that
2: this is true this is true there are uh, some outside imposed um, uh, finish lines in in hollywood the oscars the grammys the emmys these are finish lines for something but the person who attends these award shows is no 99% of the time is no longer doing that project so if they win even even on tv if you if if you win for something, uh, well, that was for an episode you did eight months ago. What are you doing now? Uh, but they are, those, those finish lines are the award shows or things like that uh, that tell the outside world, hey, we appreciate what you did. But I'm, I'm pretty sure the artist who's picking up that Oscar is thinking, Okay, what's my next thing?
3: What's well, my next Brie day? Larson flew out the day yeah. after the, Did she, the Academy yes, Awards she, to get back on to set. To get back on set. You know, she made three trips from the other side of the world for uh, those promotional um, interviews that they have to do yes. during award season, yes. and then she was banged, she was out of there. So, totally, totally get that.
2: Exactly, exactly. So, so, no, um, no permanent uh, 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 finish lines, of course. Uh, except the cosmic permanent finish line. But uh, until you reach that one, um, yeah, it's a process. It's an evolution. Mm. So you you go from project to project or...
3: So in a world that measures itself on projects, completion, levels, and awards, how do you... I may have said awards twice then. I have them on the brain. How do you check in with yourself and feel your own success? Oh, um, well, I'm a little bit allergic to to patting
2: myself on the back. I tend to um, accept what I'm doing a a podcast, but uh, I tend not to um, fixate on the the lows or the highs too much. So I, uh, one thing that sort of keeps me sane or level-headed is that there's another show tomorrow, and I've got to turn something in at 10.30 for it. So, you can either spend too much time bemoaning your failures or patting yourself on the back for your successes, and that cuts off the edges of the extremes of your career uh, a little bit. And you have to focus on today and tomorrow and the next day, which really, I mean, without getting all zen on it, is. You're get the zen if you like. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's the snail's way. I don't know what you would call the booklet, but it's the way uh, that you'll make it. Is just again with with diligently looking at what's the next thing, the next step, uh, and keeping it small. Uh, I you. Know. Okay, round two. Name something
0: that's not boring.
1: A laundry. <sighs> oh, a book club. <sighs> Computer solitaire, huh?
0: Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
2: Of course, we all have higher goals to, that we want to reach, uh, but it's very um, mundane and and very, uh, it's all about like persistence. It's, yeah. it's about getting uh, up in the morning and, and putting on your best face and going to that audition um, or confronting a rough draft or a blank page and saying, all right, with, without getting too hard on myself, without k- hating myself, let's see what comes out in this writing session. Mm. Or,
3: or I'll go and buy another typewriter.
2: Or I'll go and buy another typewriter. How many do you have? <laughs> I have a hundred typewriters. So uh, <laughs> You must be popular at <laughs> I, I am <laughs> Except on moving day, yes. Uh, then they all weigh 500 pounds. Uh, I started collecting them. I really believe I like typewriters because I heard my father typing in his study at home, and that meant he was home, he was working. It was the sound of industry or, or uh, of creativity or something, and it just latched on. Um, and I do have a collection, but it's like having a car collection of uh, Toyota Corollas. In, a, in other words, I just buy them because they're manual, not because they're expensive or rare or fine, none of that. There are people uh, in our town who do collect those, uh, like Tom Hanks, Right. but uh, I'm not at that level, so...
3: That is such a beautiful story, though. That yeah. that notion of the things that we hear in the home, and oh. we know that everything's okay. Of course, right?
2: a, a cooking smell can take you back, mm. a candle scent, anything like that. Yeah. Uh, yes, it's true.
3: It's when true. you're a single woman, it's the flashing light on the answer phone. You know. It's like, <laughs> I don't mean of to be course. tragic. Not but. at all. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a that's a beautiful example. The. Um, one of the the things that I've noticed, um, uh, anyone in the creative arts tends to have, and I'll, I'll be intrigued to know whether you do as well, tends to have these moments um, where they wish that they were something else. They'll use the word normal. Uh, they will wish that they could go somewhere for a job every day. It's like with their banana in their briefcase uh. and turn up and uh. then leave. And, and on the way home... <clears throat> excuse me say oh uh, you know I have to pick up some milk and uh, and then this weekend we're going to do this and uh, and you know like it's all about the children and the family and so on whereas for artists it's um I had to cancel something because I had an audition on Saturday like and 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 people who aren't in the industry like what do you mean you're working on Saturday I don't stop working
2: don't you don't so do
3: you stop ever I don't think
2: so and I think as a creative person you are blessed and cursed with having a restlessness um, and a, a combined with a curiosity about what you can come up with. Uh, so that doesn't really shut off. It's not like, a, and in fact, that's why I took reg, usually boring day jobs is because I knew that I had this other outlet for my creativity at night when I was doing standup. Um, and, and I actually feel sorry for people who don't have this restless creative urge um, but it's hard to turn off. I mean, you do you do want to, especially if you're still, if you still haven't made it to to your definition of making it. Well, sure. Then then you're on the clock all the time. There's always something, another class you could be taking, another uh, audition you could be going to. So, um, but even even when you get to a certain level of security. Um, then it's impel. then it's coming from inside you well how can I beat my best how can I top the thing I did last week or last year uh, and that never stops um, the other thing is and again this I say this with uh, with joy is if you have trained your mind or, or if you've opened your mind to being creative um, you get little presence throughout the day it's a turn of phrase that just comes in and it can come in at 9 p.m it could come in when you're driving home and Oh, okay. I got to remember that and write it down. Um, so you never turn, you don't turn it off. It it just sort of gives you little, little sparkles. You can't rely on them. That's mm. why we have offices and and work hours and so on. But
3: uh, what but stimulates it's, you?
2: What stimulates me?
3: Um, it's hard to know uh, how to answer that. Music, nature,
2: books, ah,
3: I see, I see. television.
2: I get. I love uh, cartoons and visual comedy. When I was growing up, I read Peanuts. I identified with this humorous comic that had a sad boy as the center of it. So it was a kind of combination. Uh, Somehow it was funny or endearing, and yet this kid, you know, in panel after panel, I'm so depressed. <laughs> so it was an odd, it was an odd thing. And later on, uh, Calvin and Hobbes. These are cartoons. They, they just—they're immediate. They're—they're they're just little pellets of happiness. They're—they're uh, they're brief. They're, and and you can you you know flip, spend an afternoon flipping through a book of them, or just get them daily if it's a, if it's you know something in a newspaper or online. Um, so yeah, visual art is uh, you know, it, it excites me uh, more than. More than most things, um, I, I, I unfortunately I I feel like I have stunted my growth musically. I am stuck in the '90s or 2000s at the latest. Uh, so um, that's uh, an admission of uh, <laughs> of just the way my mind is uh, is geared. I I like sad songs from the '70s dance songs from the 80s. And, it's really easy to be sad about
3: songs, songs from the 70s at Definitely. the moment because they're all dying. They're all dying. Right? What a run this I year. I know, has this had. is crazy.
2: Yes, right? and I, I had just seen the Eagles uh, documentary on Netflix and mm. then Glenn Frey goes. and uh, Anyway, uh, but yes, thank you for the music, everyone. Thank yeah. you for the music. <laughs> <laughs> you will not be forgotten in my car. I will t- I will sing you forever. Um, but uh, for as far as uh, uh, what what stimulates me, I would say it's it's wanting to do a good job here with topical news, cartoons and cartooning and, and uh, drawing, and um, and then I say music third, although I am in awe of music. I respect music very much. I'm just... Do you play anything? Uh, very poorly, uh, absolutely. You have a triangle? I have a... Oh, I no! A, no. Tell,
3: tell <laughs> us what this is. This is a,
2: <laughs> this is a ukulele, and when I say I play it poorly, I'm not exaggerating, so... Uh, oh, come on, can you, can you give uh, us a little something? Uh, sure. Um, raindrops keep falling on my head, and just like the guy, his feet are too big for his bed. Wait, do it again. Let's do it again. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Okay, I think that's enough torture that's for your I don't I do not see a delete button on that machine. No,
3: there isn't because... one, and oh, it's mine. Stand good back. Oh God. Um, All right. Now, so you raised something you raised something before, and I can't remember the context of it, but it was it was uh, it was something I wanted to ask you about anyway. And that oh, let's is,
2: ask the court stenographer. Can you just read back the last is 20 minutes, like, please?
3: Yeah, that's right. Clack, Thank clack, you. clack, clack, clack. All right. Um, that notion of and look, can I apologize? I should have turned my phone off. Oh. And the reason Has it been I'm buzzing so, or something? I don't even is, know. It is buzzing. I'm just going to turn it off. Because I'll tell you something funny, and you might be able to use this, but I've been getting calls from a uh, facility in Texas uh-huh. from an inmate oh, no. who would like to chat with me. Oh, so I get that voiceover. Recording yes. from like on serial, you know, this, this is, is a collect the call, call from, from
0: the Texas Penitentiary. That's
3: yes, why don't you take my well, calls? Ella, every I, I people how... keep saying to me I should take the call, but <laughs> I'm too scared.
2: Ah, uh, that's an interesting situation. I don't know how did they first of all, I very often that, porno clear that person, I did clearly, yeah. <laughs> that <was really> clearly. <laughs> that's a um, joke <laughs> sometimes call call centers are actually run in prisons in the United States so a lot of these um uh bec- robo, night robocalls uh call centers uh, are are operated by inmates and so it's possible that your your number was part of a list and that they were oh. actually doing uh some some mass callings and
3: uh and yours.
2: Well, stuck out anyway.
3: Um, that's my exciting life. That's very Enough exciting, actually. Not at all, I think that's very well, I intriguing. think we can do something with it. So we'll have it. I'll <laughs> give it to it. you after this. I've, re- I've kept the recording because <laughs> I, I oh thought somebody should do something. That's uh funny.
2: Well, we had a co worker here who also got some unintended attention from a prisoner, um, and uh, be, was a diehard fan of this uh, individual I won't name, but um, started sending them fantasy fiction about uh how how they could hook up and uh oh. and <laughs> included some line drawings which as a cartoonist <laughs> i found amateurish at best but uh but anyway uh there's so certain you're,
3: naive style there's a naive but, yeah. style exactly you said something a little earlier and i can't quite remember the, the context of, of of what it was but it was along the lines of and when you reach your success whatever that may be for you yes so what is success for you today?
2: Very. Uh, that's good. It
3: used to be to be
2: on David Letterman's show as a stand-up. And um, when I realized that I didn't want to do stand-up anymore, um, it morphed into just getting a steady paying gig as a staff writer. Uh, well, that happened in 1998. That was my first staff writing job on a, on a TV show. And so that was one level of making it. Um, and then because you've reached that level, now it has to be something else. I can look back and, and say, uh, I am f- providing for my family. We have, a, you know, we have a mortgage, I have a beautiful daughter, and, um, and this is all thanks to my ability to do my job. Um, so the question was, you know, what, how do I define making it? Yeah. Um, now it's being able to continue to produce. Yeah. Material for the show, and also to have something extra or additional to work on. To um, that, because right now I give my material to Conan, and it's filtered through Conan's sensibility, the TV shows' sensibility. Uh, but there are other facets. We want to say there are other facets of of me that would like to be expressed, and so I I take to cartooning or. Um, to drawing or things like that. Mm. So um, as long as I have a day job and a side job <laughs> or a side interest that is also creative, I think I'm. I, I would define that as success. And to
3: always be doing something,
2: to always have something in the hopper. Right. Uh, I I think I've mentioned this before. I, I I don't want to be caught by the grim reaper with a with an empty table. I want him to come up to me and say, oh, you look like you're busy, and then, <laughs> and then take off, you know? That's what he
3: sounds like. Yeah, that's
2: exactly <laughs> what he sounds like. Kind of a smokers
3: So you mentioned, you mentioned your um, uh, your cartooning, your comic books. Um, I've read one of them, Seething with you. Joy Volume 1, and I, I just loved it. Thank you so it's much. It's so
2: gorgeous. Thank you, thank you. Yes, I, I started uh, drawing comics uh... and submitting them to the new yorker back in two thousand seven uh... when the writers uh, guild went on strike so i found myself with some free time and i had always wanted to submit cartoons to the new yorker and um, i got to a certain level I-, I thought of my drawing that i could go there w- at least if not with my head held high with my head held level and i i turned them over to the editor at the time and um He took them and he said, uh, he looked over the drawings and said, we have a lot of artists here who work in a naive style, but yours isn't good enough to be called that. And it was devastating. But then he quickly said, but your comedy is good, and I'd like to see more of your stuff. So that was being batted down and then raised up. And then I started making a pest of myself over at the New Yorker cartoon uh, day and uh, eventually two of my cartoons made it in and that was the validation I needed to say okay well I'm not may not be the best artist but I didn't devote myself my life to becoming the best artist I devoted my life to being a humorist uh, and uh, so so if, if the jokes are good enough you'll buy the cartoon yeah. um, and then that's what made me decide that well, if I can do that for every now and then for the New Yorker I can also do it for myself with ideas that don't fit the show, that don't fit The New Yorker, that are just outlets for my mm. opinions or my uh, axes to grind or my political thoughts or whatever, or my whimsy. You know, I, I have a cartoon called I Emergency Garnishes. You know, these <laughs> things that you could toss into a plate at the last minute like dice. You know? <laughs> It's just silly stuff. So uh, it's an outlet for
3: what doesn't fit on the show. I lo- can you please do one called My Whimsy by Jose Arroyo? My Whimsy. So it's just kind of cute. <laughs> Emergency garnishes is excellent. Yes,
2: thank you. You could, uh, there's a, uh, you could, you could put uh, a f- fan your keys on a plate. You could, a tangle of earbuds. All these things can work as side garnishes on your plate.
3: Uh, <laughs> and the tangle and it, of earbuds, I totally get. Right? You have a, I have a burger. There's no way. You can something. wrap those things up, yes. and no matter where you put them, no. as gently as you put them, exactly. as, it's like Medusa when yes. you get them out again. it just
2: coils yeah. itself into it. Mm.
3: Yes. I love the way you see life. <laughs> uh, thank thank you, you for your time. It's just been joyful. Thank not you even, so much. I'm not seething with joy. Uh, <laughs> uh, so your comics... Uh, they're available online.
2: They are on Comicsology.com. has a um, has a, a digital version of Seething with Joy, Volume Two, and that's where you can look for my comics. Um, there are some panels that I've done that I've featured on my media page of Twitter. So, uh, go to at Seething with Joy. And look in the media, and you can scroll down. And you'll find some of my comic panels there, too.
3: Perfect. Jose Arroyo, thank you so much. It for was your a time. pleasure. Thanks for doing
2: this. Yeah, Ella.
0: thank you. See you on Fountain. You've been listening to Take Fountain with Ella James. For more, like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. You can subscribe to the podcast at Audio Boom, Stitcher, iTunes, or your favorite podcasting app. This has been another quality podcast production from Bytes.com.